Thank you for joining ReachMD XM157 for this month's special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry. MS in children? Could it be? How's it possible? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jane Ness. Dr. Ness is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics with Joint Appointments in Neurology and Neurobiology at the Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. Dr. Ness is the director of the Center for Pediatric Onset Demyelinating Disease and an associate scientist at the Civitan Research Center and the Center for Glial Biology in Medicine. Today we are discussing pediatric multiple sclerosis. Welcome, Dr. Ness, and thank you so much for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. You picked the disease that is, in my 25 years of practicing pediatrics, I've never seen a child with multiple sclerosis. How frequently does this occur? I think that we are beginning to appreciate that MS is uh, perhaps more common than we appreciated, or at least initial signs of pediatric MS are more common than we had appreciated. But it's still, it's a rare disease, but not uncommon. It's estimated that approximately 400,000 people in North America have multiple sclerosis. And of those, we think between 1% and 5% of them had their first symptoms beginning before the age of 18. And if you do the math, that can be somewhere, you know, between 5 to maybe as many as 20,000 people have had their onset of symptoms of MS beginning while they were children or adolescents. The confusing thing is that in kids, they can also have other types of demyelination that we'll talk about that develop MS, but that can be or can be mimickers of MS. And one of those is something called acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. And I'll bet that's something that you you've probably had a child with that that maybe was thought to have encephalitis and really had ADEM. What stirred up your interest in multiple sclerosis, and why the interest now in development of the center? I think things. First of all, I I think as a pediatric neurologist, there's always these kids that, you know, are really sick. You're not quite sure what's going on with them. And and again, you you know, you tap them because the mantra in pediatrics is tap early and tap often. And so it looks like they have encephalitis or maybe they have a meningitis, but, you know, the cultures come back negative. Nothing quite fits. Things aren't moving in the right direction. So you get around to getting an MRI and wow, there's all these big white fluffy spots all over kingdom come. And I can remember when I was a fellow, 99, 2000, here at Children's in Birmingham, you know, we debated about whether or not to treat with steroids. Well, finally one kid we did, and that kid was, you know, better overnight. I mean, it was amazing. She was healed. But then some of these kids come back and have another episode. And then increased availability of MRI has made the diagnosis of demyelinating diseases. But the other thing is, is that things have changed for adult MS. There are now disease-modifying therapy available for different types of shots. And there's now data coming out in the adult MS literature that early treatment can prevent the number of relapses. And so now you've got this easier diagnosis. There's a push, at least on the adult MS side, to treat early. And now you've got these kids who, yeah, we've diagnosed them with a demyelinating disease, but, you know, we're not always sure if they're going to go on and develop MS or not. And so it's really critical to come and look at this, you know, from a pediatric perspective. I mean, kids are not small adults because... Not all these kids do develop MS, but some do, and it can be really difficult to sort out. Can I ask you a question just because, again, our audience is primary care doctors, many of whom are pediatricians, and we certainly don't see this disease as I certainly haven't very often. Could you give us a working definition of MS, and what are the pediatric criteria? How do you diagnose MS in a child? Sure. So, first of all, the classic definition of MS in an adult is two episodes of demyelination 
separated in time and space. That's the classic definition. And that definition can be, for example, two episodes would be, for example, like optic neuritis or blindness in one eye or numbness involving one part of the body or one part of the face or weakness in one side of the body, one side of the face, or maybe a band-like sensation around the waist. Um, sometimes it's persistent dizziness. Kids will be, you know, in fact, I've had a, seen a couple of kids treated like they had ear infections and they really had a lesion in their brainstem that was just making them dizzy for a couple of weeks. It can be hard to sort out, but if you have two distinct episodes that with the symptoms lasting at least 24 hours and with the episodes separated by at least one month, then that makes the classic diagnosis of MS and you don't need MRI, you don't need spinal tap, you don't need anything. From my reading and preparation, I saw that this entity, acute demyelinating encephalomyopathy or ADEM, can take up to three months to resolve, but it can have exacerbations in between or not? Well, it can't. So it gets a little bit tricky. But then in the 1980s, you know, the MS profile came out, MRI, you know, in late 80s, early 90s, MRI became available. And then, you know, with diagnosing MS, now you can make a diagnosis in adults if they have a classic episode such as the visual loss with no alteration of mental status. That's a fairly critical thing we think on the pediatric side. And then you have an MRI that has multiple scattered lesions that you really can't explain by anything else. If you repeat another MRI a certain period of time later between, there's some revised definitions, but several months later or three months later and see new lesions, you can use that MRI as a surrogate for the second event. And so you don't have to wait for the shoe to drop the second time to say, this is MS. So now we have kids. So kids come along and they present a little bit differently. They're really confused. They're lethargic. The spots on the MRI often look different. And this is often what we call acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, as you've referred to. And these kids that, you know, like I experienced when I was a fellow, they, you treat them with steroids. There's other treatments you can use as well, um, IVIG or plasmapheresis, but they get treated. They often get better. And then all of a sudden something else happens a couple weeks later, a couple months later. Do you call that MS? There's a pediatric MS study group got together in 2004, 2005, and put together definitions that state that we'll use the adult definitions, but if that first episode was ADEM, we are not going to let that be called the first episode of MS. And I'm going to pause for just a moment to welcome those who are just joining us and inform them they're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jane Ness, and we're discussing pediatric multiple sclerosis. So the first episode you're explaining may present as ADEM. Go on from there. So in childhood, so let's say this child then goes on, and this has happened not infrequently in my practice, where a couple weeks later, a couple months later, but within a three-month window, they'll have an episode of another demyelinating episode. And the most common thing I see is actually optic neuritis, where they'll lose vision in one eye. And sometimes when a you know, two- or three-year-old kid or a four-year-old kid, it's hard to tell that they're not seeing out of one eye very well. But you know, usually, usually the parents will pick up on it. And then it's like, well, okay, you had this first episode of ADEM. Now you've had some recurrent symptoms within this three-month window. What do you call that? And our definition suggests that that should all be part of the same episode of ADEM. So within the three-month period of ADEM, where it gets tricky, and I have one child I'm struggling with this right now, where it gets tricky is a kid who has... ADEM, months go by, they have another episode. Let's say this time it's without changes in mental status. I got a little guy that this is exactly what happened at ADEM this spring. Now he had optic neuritis this fall, no change in mental status. There's a few new spots on the MRI as well as his optic nerve. 
what am I going to call this? I'm still not call, even though it's two events separated in time and space, I'm not comfortable diagnosing him with MS. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow his MRI, and I'm going to follow him. If he accumulates new spots, I'm going to think seriously about diagnosing him with MS, or if he has another episode that's sort of classic for MS, so no change in mental status, but some focal neurologic symptom, then I'm going to call this MS and, and, you know, discuss treatment with the family. How early have you seen MS present or ADEM? Well, ADEM is uh, typically in younger kids. We've had babies with ADEM. The youngest in our group was nine months old, and we've had a a 10-month-old who's as well. We've had kids with MS. The youngest reported is around the age of two. There were some questions about whether that was a real case or not. I think there are certainly kids three and four now that, you know, more people are seeing these kids. And the youngest I've personally seen that, you know, we were convinced it was MS was at age five. I had a question about the dizziness, if I could go back a little bit, because when I've seen children with dizziness and they really don't have ataxia, but I've often used the diagnosis acute labyrinthitis. Should I be thinking MS, or at what point do I think of MS and either refer to a neurologist and or get an MRI? Well, I think that's a great question. I think one of the things is that usually the dizziness doesn't get better. It's not position-dependent, and it persists for a couple of days or longer, if it's, there's often eye movement changes in the kids who have a lesion in their brain stem that's making them dizzy or in their cerebellum, it's usually persistent. If it's in the cerebellum, there'll be some form of ataxia or, or dysmetria typically. So you should be able to tell by your exam. If you have a, a stone-cold normal exam, eyes are moving normally, there's no change in mental status, and they're just they're kind of telling you they feel dizzy, but they're not walking funny, they're not calm do this feel funny, then I think you can sit tight. I mean, it may be that if it persists and doesn't get better, you know, after a couple of weeks, you may need to rethink, is there something else going on? But I think if your exam, you know, again, focusing on eye movements, focusing on their gait, checking if they can do finger-to-nose should help you out sorting that out. And I'm going to pause for just a moment to welcome those who are just joining us and inform them they're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jane Ness, and we're discussing pediatric multiple sclerosis. I've had a couple of children who a neurologist over the past years has diagnosed as acute cerebellar ataxia. Could that be the first demyelinating episode? It's a great question. We certainly see it. We see it less often now because chickenpox isn't as common. And, you know, those kids make us sweat because, you know, gosh, could this be? But usually what happens now is, that, you know, they come in, kid had a little viral illness, went to sleep, woke up from their nap, and just could not walk. And those kids, I usually end up, you know, recommending that we get a CT on them just to make sure that there's no tumor. And then often they'll kind of get better in front of your eyes without doing much. And so a lot of times we can avoid tapping them, avoid getting the MRI and the sedation and all that entails because a lot of times their mental status is completely normal. So I'm like, this isn't ADM because their mental status is intact even though they're ataxic because I'll get out. And they get better quickly. But if they don't get better, I mean, we're sweating. And then we're usually, yeah, you know, let's get the MRI. Yeah, let's tap them. And most of the time the MRI is normal. Does the MRI differ in pediatric onset MS versus adult onset? I think it's more the younger kids often have bigger lesions, fluffier lesions. Again, sort of more, a little bit more like ADEM. The older kids, the teenagers tend to have more of the smaller, discrete lesions. The MRI does not distinguish reliably between MS and ADEM. And in adults, there are at least four different symptom complexes of MS. Does that apply to children as well? 95% of kids have relapsing remitting MS. 
There's very few case reports of children who present with primary progressive MS, and we're seeing that kids over time do develop what's called secondary progressive MS, and they tend to develop it later than people with adult-onset MS. Unfortunately, by the time kids develop their secondary progression, they end up being younger, though, than adults do started with their MS. So a child who might take 20, 25 years to develop secondary progression, but they're in their 30s instead of in their 50s. Well, I'd like to thank you so much, for enlightening me and hopefully our entire audience on the syndrome or the disease of pediatric multiple sclerosis. My best wishes to Dr. Jane Ness, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing pediatric multiple sclerosis. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com to access our entire program library and to explore our on-demand and podcast features. I wish you good day and good health. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, features a special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry.